Parshas told us. When this week's Parsha describes for us the birth of Esav, we read the following words. The first one came out and he was ruddy. And we note right away that there are two things the Torah is telling us here. First of all, he was born Rishon, the Bechor, which on its own merit entitled Esav to a certain natural position of leadership. That's how it always was. The firstborn was privileged to preside over the family service. He was the boss in the family. But not only was he chronologically the leader, but he looked the part too. Vayetze Harishan Admoni means that Esav was born red. Now it doesn't mean that he had red hair, but he was red-blooded in his cheeks. The blood coursing through his veins was apparent through his skin. HaKadosh Baruch Hu favored him with a strong and robust complexion. And that was looked at by everyone as a demonstration that Mina Shamaim, he was the one more suited for leadership of the family. He had the natural look of a leader, strong and energetic. And if you would ask the Edomites, they would tell you that this Pasuk is the reason they acquired their national name. They forever called themselves Edom in order to emphasize that their ancestor was born with all the physical signs of leadership and that they, the ones descended from the Admoni, were the ones who really should have been the chosen nation. They lived nearby. Edom was right next to Eretz Yisroel. And they never forgot that Yaakov, the son, I'm sorry, the younger brother, used wiles and trickery to steal the Bechorah from its rightful owner, their ancestor Esav. He was the red-blooded one who was born to rule, and therefore the name Edom was intended as a loud and permanent protest to the world. Our grandfather was born to be the leader of that family, and it was stolen from us by the little trickster, his younger brother. But along comes the Torah and tells us a very different reason for that name. Vayomer Esav el Yaakov, hal na min ha'adom ha'adom hazeh, ki anochi. And Esav said to Yaakov, Feed me, please, from this red, red, because I'm exhausted. Al-Kain Karashemo Edom. That's why his name was called Edom. Now you have to know that whenever it says Al-Kain, it comes Lafuke, to exclude what you might otherwise think. The Torah is telling us, don't listen to what the Edomites want you to believe, that Esav was called Edom because of his strength and ruddiness. No, Al-Kain Karashemo Edom. This is the real reason he was called Edom. It's because of that episode when he sold away his birthright for a bowl of Adom Adom red lentils. Red, red lentils. How did this story come about? The Torah introduces it like this. Esav came from the field and he was weary. Now the words and he was weary are not written merely for description. Our sages tell us in Baba Vasra that he wasn't merely weary, weary from hunting in the field. They tell us he was mentally and morally weary. He was discouraged because of a shock that he had just experienced. That day, the Chachamim tell us, was the tragic day when Avram Avinu passed away. And for Esav, he was about 15 years old. The petira of his grandfather was a big blow. It was such a shock for Esav that Chazal tell us that on the day of Kafar B'tchiyat, Esav Kafar B'tchiyat Hametim, Esav rebelled against the belief in the world to come. Now don't make any mistake about it. Esav believed in Olam Haba. No question about that. 
Whatever you think about Esav, you have to know, you are probably thinking incorrectly. Esav was a Maimon. He was a son of two great parents. And in that great family, Oilam Haba was the breath of their nostrils. They lived only because of Oilam Haba. And Esav didn't say anything that would contradict that. He didn't come out openly and say any foolish statement against the principle of, principle of his avas, against the principles for which they lived. It was just as impossible for Esav to say that he disbelieved in the world to come as to say that he disbelieved in himself. So what happened on that day? When Esav heard the terrible news that Avraham had passed away, he lost a certain amount of confidence in Oilam Haba. He lost his footing and fell down from the great madrega of his family. Because to the human eye, death seems to be a testimony against Hashra's Hanefesh, the, eter- the eternity of the soul. You know, when a person is walking around, he's functioning. He's eating three meals a day and he has money in his pocket. So it's easy to talk about the world to come. Sure, why not? In addition to this world, he wants the next world too. Why not? So he'll believe in it. But when he sees a dead body, it suddenly becomes very difficult to believe in the afterlife. That's how it is. Death deceives the mind to think that this is sof kol adam, that this is the end. What's the first thing that you think about when there's a mace? You think it's the end. No matter how much your seichel tells you that the neshama lives forever, when you look at that dead body, it hits you between the eyes. Look, he's dead now. It's over. Finished. There was once a man in the shul by us, a from man whose father died. So I went to be Menachem Avel. Nisht Engelach, Engedach. He And he broke down weeping as, a, as I was speaking to him. He told me that it hurt him so much. He was pained so much because at the time when his father died, he looked at his father's body and he saw the lifeless lump of skin and bones and he felt that it was the end, a complete end. His father is no longer. Of course, this man was a maimon, but all of the animamins that he rattled off after Shachres for so many years Come, came, come crashing down into a heap of rubble at the sight of the lifeless body of his father. And that's what happened to Esav. He fell down from his convictions. You have to understand. That was the ayif. That he was weary not only physically, but he was weary spiritually. He was knocked out and discouraged. And for a short moment, he lost his footing, his perspective on life. And that's why when the tired and discouraged Esav came back from the funeral and he saw that his brother was cooking a pottage, so he took a look at the soup of red lentils and he said, Haliteni na min ha'adom ha'adom hazeh. Give me now to eat from this red red. Now that's not all he said. I'm sure there was a conversation there and Esav expressed some of his dissatisfaction and discouragement. And Yaakov was a sharp young man and he heard what Esav was getting at. He saw the weakness in Esav the relaxation of his conviction in Oilam Haba. Now we could give a little bit of limud zechus on Esav and say that he was ayef. He was confused and that in a few days it would have passed. I'm sure Esav would have reverted to his family's principles and he would have been restored to his composure. But on this particular day, the sight of death knocked Esav flat on his back. The sight of death made him lose sight for a moment. This world is only a vestibule leading into the world into the next world. It's a long hallway, 
but it's a hallway nonetheless. And what's the only purpose in this world? Hatkin atzmecha. Prepare in the hallway in order to enter into the grand ballroom. Hatkin atzmecha b'proizdor. Prepare yourself in the vestibule. In order to enter the dining hall. Esav lost his perspective and for a moment he thought that the vestibule was the dining hall. It's like a man who comes to a wedding and even before he takes off his coat and checks it in, he pulls out a bottle of brandy and he drinks it all out and he starts dancing and singing. The wedding is inside but he's dancing in the vestibule next to the coat room. And he extends all of his energy dancing in front of the coat checker instead of dancing in front of the chasen and kala. He's living it up until finally he falls down. They have to tote him home. They have to tote him home into a taxi. He's finished for the night. A man like that doesn't understand what a vestibule is for. And that's what Esav did on that day. Now when Yaakov saw his brother so discouraged by the phenomenon of death, so focused on this world, he understood right away that Esav wasn't the right man to be the Bechor, the leader of the family. Avraham passed away, so what about it? It's the next world that's important. And when he saw that, Esav had lost sight of the most basic fundamentals. Because what is more basic than Olam Haba? So Yaakov thought in his heart, now is the time to do something for the future of our people. We don't want our children to say, Elokeinu velokei avotenu, Elokei Avraham, Elokei Yitzchak, Elokei Esav. And therefore he said, Sell me your Bechorah. Because you are not capable, not worthy of such an opportunity. A man who can lose sight, even for a brief moment, of the important truth that this world is only a vestibule before eternity, can't be the Bechor of the family. Of course, Yaakov Avinu didn't say it like that. He couldn't say it like that to an older brother. In those days, they respected older brothers. But in his heart, Yaakov was telling Esav, Look, if you are so discouraged by the phenomena of death, by the, path, by the passing of a tzaddik, it means that you have lost sight of the real meaning of life. And therefore, Michra kayom et bichoratecha. Li. Sell me your bichorah, your birthright. And even though Esav said very firm words, he motivated it with professions of humility. I'm going to die. So what is this world anyhow? This world is nothing. What do I need covered for? But what does the Torah say about it though? though? The Torah criticizes him bitterly. I don't think there's another place in the Torah where Esav is criticized as he is in this this parasha. He ate the lentils, he drank some wine, he got up, and he went away. Esav scorned the Bechorah. That's a tremendous criticism on him. You had an opportunity to be an Oyved Hashem, to make use of this world for achievement and gain merit in the service of Hashem, and you gave it away so lightly. The Gemara says, Shat et he despised the Bechorah because he lost sight of Olam Haba for a moment. And that, the Torah tells us, is the real reason the people of Edom got their name. Al-Kain Karashimo Edom. They are the red lentil people. It's an eternal reminder that Esav lost his opportunity for the greatness because he forgot what this world is for. Instead of being a name of honor, the Admoni, one who was born for greatness, he became Edom the one who traded his opportunity for greatness 
for a bowl of red lentils. And that's the eternal label attached to Esau. He's the one who forgot his purpose of life because he weakened for a moment and he traded everything away for a bowl of red lentils. Now that, now, this story is in the Torah as well as the words Alken Karashimo Edom are intended to be a lesson for us about how to live our lives in this world. How to properly do business in Oilam Hazeh. The Chayvah Zalavavah, when he discusses the servants of Hashem and their ways, he says, Sacharu imo, they do business with Hashem. You hear that? Others do business with money, with certain commodities. But the servants of Hashem do business with Him. Doing business with Hashem, that's an interesting expression. And we should study it. We understand business, it means you're selling something and you're making a profit. So what's the business that a wise person does with Hashem? With Hashem? What do Oivde Hashem sell and what do they gain in turn? And it's explained there that they sell their Oilam Hazeh. They sell this world to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and in return they receive Oilam Haba. In our history, we have had many tzaddikim who made such business deals with Hashem. There's a tzaddik in the days of Antiochus HaRosha who is given a choice, bow down to avoid the Zara, or else you'll be tortured to death. And so the tzaddik decides to undertake this business venture. He thinks, I'll give away to HaKadosh Baruch Hu all my young years I could have lived, all of the Oilam Haze I could have married and, I, and had children, and I could have enjoyed a long life perhaps, and I'm going to give it all away to him for the sake of Oilam Haba. So Sacharu Imo, he does business with Hashem. However, this business of completely selling away your Oilam Hazeh to Hashem and in return he promises you Oilam Haba is not the right Peshat. It would be the Peshat if the example we just mentioned of a man who gave his life for Kiddush Hashem. But that's a rare instance. What's the real way to do business with HaKadosh Baruch Hu? It's not by giving up this world for Oilam Haba. It's those who live out their lives normally in Oilam Hazeh they are the ones who are sacharu imo in the best way possible. They do business with Hashem by utilizing oilam hazeh for the service of Hashem. They live out their oilam hazeh lives normally. And in return, he gives them oilam hazeh plus oilam haba. The true oivet Hashem enjoys all of his days in this world. And then he enjoys oilam haba as well. That's how they turn a prophet. This that Yaakov lived his life for the next world doesn't, does, does it mean that he didn't enjoy life? It doesn't say Yaakov didn't leave any red lentil soup for himself. Does it say that in the Chumash? I suppose he had some of the soup for himself too. Even if he gave of a big portion, a double portion, a triple portion. So he filled Esav's throat and he took away the Bechorah. But I'm sure that Yaakov had some more soup for himself. Yaakov had Oilam Hazeh. You can be sure he had many more Oilam Hazeh than anybody else. Now, we'll take some time to explain that because it is of utmost importance. A servant of Hashem understands that the way to get Oilam Haba is to walk before Hashem in this world, to walk through the vestibule, planning for the grand ballroom. As he makes his way through this world, he does it with the knowledge that he's doing good business, making good investments in the future that really counts. This story, you remember, was told here already. When a visitor once came to see the Chavetz Chaim, Zichron Levracha, so he walked in and he saw, him, he saw him sitting in a little room. There was no furniture except a table and the bench made of boards nailed together. 
So this visitor thought that maybe they were renovating his house inside, the real house. And the Chafetz Chaim, in the meantime, was exiled to the empty room with makeshift furniture while they, while they were preparing the house for him. So the visitor said, Rabbi, where is the furniture? So the Chafetz Chaim said, and where is your furniture? So he said, I'm only a tourist. I'm just visiting here. So the Chafetz, so the Chafetz Chaim answered, so am I. That's how the great men lived. That this world was only a temporary place. You know when you go, let's say, to the bus terminal in Penn Station or Grand Central because you have to travel somewhere. And you have to sit down to wait for your train. So you don't order from the local furniture store that they should bring you an expensive sofa or even any kind of sofa. You don't order chairs or a dinette because any moment the conductor will come in and announce, all aboard, and you won't be able to take anything with you except for a few small things that you can put into your suitcase. When a man has to leave and they call all aboard, all the cumbersome things you don't take along, only the things you can carry in your suitcase. Only the Torah and mitzvahs that you achieved come along with you of us. But Torah and mitzvahs are not the only things a from Jew gains in this world when he understands that it's a temporary stay here. Because does being a visitor in this world make Olam Hazeh any less fun? Not at all. On the contrary, the man who knows that life is brief is the one who enjoys it the most. That's a principle that never fails. The tzaddikim have more Olam Hazeh than anyone else. You know, the Chavetz Chaim who sat on a wooden bench was here a long time enjoying this world. He was here until 92 years at least. And he was in good health. He had red cheeks until the last years. He enjoyed this world. He enjoyed it all the while. He was, he was making use of it, packing his suitcase with toida and mitzvahs. The Chavetz Chaim didn't waste any time. He utilized his 92 years. But while he was doing that, he was very happy, more happy than anyone who didn't understand that this world is only a vestibule, because he understood that he was only a temporary visitor. I'll explain that. If you people ever spent a summer in a, summer in a bungalow colony in the country, you'll recall there are two kinds of visitors. There are those who come the whole summer and you'll notice that they're in no rush to have fun because they think that they have all the time in the world. But the person who was in the city all summer long until his mother-in-law gives him the bungalow to use for a few days. So when he comes upstate, he tries his best to get all that he can out of his visit. He packs his bags with the tennis rackets and hiking boots. Everything's he, everything he's packing because he knows his time is short and he wants to suck all of the fun out that he can during his short stay. Which means a tourist makes more use of the opportunities than a permanent citizen. And therefore, those who know that they are tourists are in this world and they enjoy the world much more sharply, with more zest than anyone else. You don't see tzaddikim getting into cars Saturday night and driving around looking for fun. Other people are looking for pleasures. Tzaddikim already have them. Tzaddikim don't have to drink for thrills. Yeshiva boys never take shot take a shot in the arm, they have their thrills. They're happy with the Beis HaMedrash. They are thrilled in the Beis HaMedrash. Even to walk from the house to the yeshiva is for them fun. Do tzaddikim who sell out to our Baruch Hu in this world for the sake 
of the world to come, do they actually enjoy this world less? Do they feel less keenly the pleasures of life than someone who thinks that this world is everything? It could be you never stop to analyze it. But when a person understands that this world is only a temporary visiting place, he certainly gets much more out, much more out of it, whether he is aware of it or not. And that's the reaction automatically of all those who are facing the prospect of Eilam Haba. This world becomes a much happier world for them. And if you don't believe me, then try it. Think about Eilam Haba. I'll give you a simple experiment, which I always give you. If you walk by a cemetery, it always cheers you up. It's unfailing because the realization that life will come to an end makes you appreciate more keenly what you possess right now. When you know that it's going to come to an end one day, you enjoy it much more. And what's the best fun in this world after all? It's the knowledge that you're accomplishing, that you're doing the best business possible by putting away for your future in Olam Haba, that will be forever. Those who understand that life is purposeful are going to utilize it and accomplish, whereas those who don't know the purpose of life, they're going to lose out and waste the most precious gift that ever that, that never again will be offered to them. And that's the opportunity to utilize their free will to accomplish something in this world. That's the greatest pleasure of all, knowing that you're achieving. That's what Yaakov means. It means the man who has patience and he waits for the end. Yaakov comes from the world from the word Ekev. Ekev means the heel or the end. Like in Vehaya Ekev Tishmeun. In the end, it'll come if you listen. Yaakov means the one who comes on the heels of the other one. Esav came first, but Yaakov is going to end up the most successful one because he knows how to make use of Eilam Hazeh. Eilam Hazeh also was given to Yaakov because he's the one who knows that it's only a hallway. Don't think Eilam Hazeh was only given to Esav. When it states Esav had Eilam Hazeh, it means he was given only Eilam Hazeh. When it says Yaakov was given Olam Haba, it, mean he, it means he was given also Olam Haba. And he acquired his Olam Haba by means of knowing what this world is all about. And that's why we have to be on guard all the time not to make the same error that Esav made. Of course, Esav knew all about Olam Haba. He could darshan about the next world better than we could. But he didn't feel it in his bones. And therefore, when that day came, the day when Abraham passed away, he lost his footing and became discouraged. A man who really knows about Olam Haba, when he sees that even Avraham Avinu has to pass away, so he starts thinking about how precious life is. Every day is like a special gift. Every hour is wealth. When he sees even a tzaddik must die, so he thinks, how could I cast away the wealth of life and let it go by? And yet the error that Esav made is the same error being made by all of mankind today. Even the Fruma consider the next world merely as something of emuna. Of course, they're willing to believe in it. Why not? But when it comes to living with the idea that it should influence all of their behavior, that's a different story. With their mouths, sometimes they mention Oilam Haba, but they're not aware of it as a tangible reality. And actually, it's the only reality. This world is Kacholam Ya'uf. It's like a dream passing by, and the next world is the only real world. 
Now, before we go on, it's important to understand that this belief in Olam Haba is not just an extra, a Midas Chasidis. Because when we turn to look at the Mesilas Yesharim, the textbook of Avoidus Hashem, we see that Olam Haba is everything. He tells us there that we must always keep in mind that the Yisod HaChasidus V'Shoyrish HaAvoida, the foundation and root of Avoidus Hashem is Shit Bared, that a man must make clear to himself and convince himself of his obligation in this world, which is preparing for the world to come. Pay close attention to his words, because there are two separate functions here. Yitbarer means that it must become crystal clear to you what your purpose is in this world. Because it's not enough that you have pinpointed your purpose. It's not enough that you can say, I believe in Olam Haba, and you're finished. Because in addition to clarifying that, there is also the function of Vayit Amet. You must become convinced about Olam Haba. You must exert whatever effort is required to convince yourself that it's true. You have to try with all of your abilities to gain a firm belief, a firm conviction in the reality of Olam Haba. You should be convinced of the existence, the truth of Olam Haba, no less than you are convinced in the truth of your fingers. And that's why it's so important not to get too caught up in Olam Hazeh and forget your purpose in this world. Like the Gemara in Avoid says, once you become entangled with this world, it becomes very difficult to disentangle. It becomes very easy to make the same error Asaf did and to sell yourself out to this world completely. Because the deep conviction of Olam Haba is the foundation of our Avoidus Hashem. Whatever we could do to vit amet, to convince ourselves of this truth, and then to convince ourselves even more, that is our obligation. We have to spend time thinking about Olam Haba. How can you be preparing for, for Olam Haba if you never even think about it? No, let's mention it. Isn't that a tragedy? So we're not going to let that happen to us. Because we don't like tragedies. And instead of just talking about becoming great, we'll actually do something about it. We're going to get busy immediately thinking about the world to come. Together we'll start an Olam Haba program. We're going to spend at least 30 seconds every day thinking about Olam Haba. Reminding ourselves that we're in this world only as a preparation for the world to come. For one half a minute, remind yourself that this world is just a vestibule, a place to put your things in order before the world to come. Every day, at least 30 seconds on the clock, we're going to think about Olam Haba. You're driving to work. Maybe you're in the room waiting to see the doctor. Or even if you're standing on the corner waiting for the light to change. Whatever it is, look at your watch and let it tick off 30 seconds while you are now in the world to come, thinking about the purpose of life. That's the foundation of being a Jew. The clear conviction that our purpose here is Olam Haba, the afterlife. Not that the afterlife is an annex, something that is also going to be given to us. No, the afterlife is it. Now reminding ourselves about Olam Haba is wonderful. Wonderful! But because it's so important not to forget our purpose here. Our purpose here. So what does HaKadosh Baruch Hu do? He has pity on people who forget that they're only walking through a vestibule. He doesn't want us to score an opportunity in this world, and so he sends us reminders, all types of reminders. 
And the biggest reminder of all is that Olam Haba, ten, Olam Haze, tends to disintegrate. It's a fact. If you look all around you, you'll see that's how it is by everyone. Those people who live only for Olam Haze, they are always disappointed because Olam Haze always tends to collapse and fall apart. You could have the most beautiful home and you, and you bring the most beautiful bride into the home. Sooner or later, it will all fall apart. The paint begins to peel and the pipes crack. The house becomes old and you become old and you won't enjoy it anymore. Eventually, the bride becomes old too. What can she do? She can't be a queen always. She becomes old too. If you invest in a home, you'll be disappointed. If you invest in glory, you'll be disappointed. It all turns out to be nothing in the end. It turns to ashes. Now, some people think that the answer is to invest in their children. But the truth is, those who live for their children end up disappointed as well. When people invest everything they have into their children, they're going to be disappointed. Even the best children that will give you the most nachas eventually will turn out to be a disappointment. Sooner or later, the children become self-sufficient. They marry and they go off by themselves and you are super, and you are super cargo. You are entirely unnecessary unless you have a lot of money and you could still dish it out in your old age. So whenever you come around, they'll give you a welcome. But otherwise, they get along quite well without you. Not because the children are nice children. Not because they're unkind, but they have their own life to live. And finally, they have their own grandchildren. And you become super cargo. Your own body begins to remind you about Olam Haba. When a man's hair begins turning gray, it's a reminder to him that this world is not forever. Now you know why hair changes? That's the purpose. In case you weren't preparing all your years, so your hair is telling you. Get ready now. Arthritis too. Sometimes arthritis comes along to remind you. Usually the teeth remind you too. They're not there anymore. And with teeth that you have to buy in the store, it's not so easy to chew the food that you used to enjoy. Little by little, your grip on this world begins to loosen. That's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is doing. He's loosening your grip gradually. It's like when a parent is holding on to a dollar bill and the child wants the dollar. So he pulls off one finger of, of his parent and then he pulls off away another finger. And finally he loosens all their fingers and he gets hold of that dollar. You ever try that with a child? And that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu does with us. Little by little, he's loosening your fingers from Olam Hazeh. And these reminders are a chesed. Because they're reminding you that if you invest all your hopes just in that, if you put your hopes into Olam Hazeh, then you are going to be terribly disappointed. People have to be reminded that this world is not what we are, what we are destined for. And it's a great chesed to be taught this lesson while you're still here, here in this world before you make the mistake that Esav made. I once visited a home for the aged and I was looking at the old people, old people, American old Jews, Burim, people who never thought about the subject we're talking about here. It was a pity on them. They were sitting around staring. Life had turned out a disappointment. This hurts me, I can't go here. There was nothing but disappointment. Only complaints. That's all you can hear. These old people had all soured on life because they lived for Olam Hazeh and now it had all turned into nothing. But over there, there was an old man with a white beard sitting at a table with a Gemara opened and he was busy. 
He was busy getting ready for the next world. He was reviewing all that he had learned in his lifetime, and he was the happiest man in the place. He was busy because he knew that he had a purpose and nothing had disappointed him. Everything was turning out exactly as expected. The arthritis, the false teeth, teeth, the nurses, they were all constant reminders of the great ballroom that he was heading towards. He's getting ready now to cash in. He was counting now, counting all his bonds before he leaves and making sure he wouldn't leave anything over. He was a happy man. A from Jew who invests in Oilam Haba, then he's going to have besides for the feeling that he's a visitor here and therefore he enjoys every minute, every pleasure that others disdain, but he also has the happiness of knowing he's living for a purpose and he has prepared for that which HaKadosh Baruch Hu intended he should prepare. He lives life flush with the happiness of achievement in this world. That's what the Ma'amar states as follows. This is the way of Torah. You eat bread with salt. You hear that program? You want to succeed in learning? Eat bread with salt. Why with salt? Isn't butter kosher too? It means this. If there's nothing else, if you don't have any butter to put on the bread, so you put some salt on it. Umayim umisura tishteh. And drink water with measure. And why with a measure? Because you don't have enough water. Even the water you have to drink sparingly. Ve'ala aretz tishan. That's your dormitory. To sleep on the earth. There's nothing else. Of course, if you have more, even better. Nothing wrong with butter on bread or sleeping on a mattress. But the most important thing is that ubatora ata amel, and you're laboring in the Torah. It doesn't mean only learning Torah. It means avoid Hashem, mitzvahs. Now, what does the Mish- Mishnah say about that? How fortunate you are in the world to come in Oilam Haba. No. Listen to what he says. Ashrecha ba'olam hazev etovlach la'olam haba. How fortunate you are in this world. The truly happy ones are the ones who know that they're utilizing their lives to accomplish something. That's the great happiness. And when he comes to the next world, he'll meet with his ancestors, all the Am Yisrael that are enjoying their permanent world. And he's going to join them with the great happiness of a person who finishes a successful journey. Like somebody who leaves home for a journey and he goes to a different country and he makes out well and becomes wealthy. And then finally he decides to return home to visit the old folks. And he comes back with news of his great success, of his big honors, his big achievements and his wealth. He arrives in Oilam Haba successfully, bearing with him all the merchandise that he had prepared, his seda laderech. And that's his happiness. To return home with a report of success. If you don't sell your opportunities in this world, like Esav did, so you'll come to the world to come. You'll come singing, carrying the sheaves of the crop that you sowed and you reaped by your life in this world. To Tehillim. And you'll forever be the successful businessman. The one who lived happily in Oilam Haze. And the one living eternally happily in Oilam Haba. And now, a Shabbos Vort from Rabbi Miller. And the children with her struggled together. And she said, if so, what am I thus? And she went into a choir of Hashem. 
When Rivka felt unusual pains and movement, she sensed a certain struggle between the two children she was carrying. This wise and perceiving woman saw it as a portent of the dissension that would arise between her two children, and that hurt her terribly. She believed that her children would become the nation of Hashem. And because she imagined that these two children would both be fathers of the Am Yisrael, she was greatly disheartened that two of us of the chosen people should quarrel and struggle against each other. It bothered her tremendously. Lama, why should I bear children for Zeh, for such dissension? She said to herself. She was at a loss for what to do. That the beginning of the Am Yisrael should be with Machloikes? It was unimaginable to her. It would be preferable, she thought, that such children should not be born, and that at a later time she should conceive again and bear offspring that were not destined to quarrel. She was at a loss to understand what it all meant. And when one needs eight Satova, the best address is Akalosh Baruchu. The Chachamim tell us that Rivka traveled to the yeshiva of Shem Ve'ever to visit the well-known tzaddik, Shame in order to inquire of Hashem. And Hashem revealed to her by means of his prophet that Shnei Goyim Bitnech, contrary to what you think, Rivka, there are actually two separate nations within you, and only one of them will become the Am Yisroel. Like the old Navua that was told to Avram, Ki velo kol Yitzchak. Through your son Yitzchak will the Am Yisroel be born but it will not be all of the seed of Yitzchak who will become the chosen people. And that's why your two unborn children are struggling, one against the other. Because that's the portent for all of history. One nation will exert, ex- exert itself against the other nation, and the older one will have to serve the younger. The machloikes you are bothered by is actually a portent for everything that would happen in the history of the world. Rivka learned that it would be only her younger son who would father Hashem's chosen people? Only the children of Yaakov, who would be the Amis, who would be the Amis, the Am Hashem. They would be the one nation in the world who would be tasked with standing strong to remain loyal to the principles of Hashem. And that would mean a constant struggle against the rest of humanity. And it would entail dissension, machloikis as well. The Navi explained to Rivka that the Machloikes, this Machloikes, this dissension between brothers, would be an eternal blessing for the Am Yisrael. It would be necessary for the children of Yaakov to avoid the influence of the children of Esav in order for them to maintain the excellence for which they were chosen. The wall of animosity and friction was built by Hashem in order that the nation of Yaakov should fraternize with the nations of Esav and learn their ways. The machloikis l'shem shamayim between the descendants of Esav and the descendants of Yaakov was the kiyum of Nevuah given over to Rivka on that day. And it was a blessing that would forever protect the holiness and perfection of the Am Yisroel. This was the reason that Hashem caused the two brothers to struggle with each other in the womb as a portent for all of history when the two nations would, would exert themselves against each other constantly. And so Rivka now understood the answer to her question. La mazeh, she asked, what is this fighting for? And HaKadosh Baruch Hu answered her that it was a blessing in disguise. The dissension between the brothers that she felt within her would be the greatest of blessings for the one who would become the father of the chosen people because Am Levadad Yishkun, the Am Hashem can only achieve their greatness when they are set apart. 
from the nations of the world. Have a wonderful Shabbos.